Pineapple Pizza Podcast discusses the histories, cultures, and beliefs of regions around the world. These stories often contain mature and sometimes disturbing content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Pineapple Pizza Podcast, where we serve up delicious slices of mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends. It's an interesting combination of flavors. Weird, but it works. Today's special is a very bloody story by the slice. <laughs> oh. Take two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your host is Ashley, and with me today, as always, are the wonderful and wacky Lindsay and Emily. I'm here this time. Hello. How do? <laughs> <laughs> Works so much better when you can hear all three of us. <laughs> <laughs> Although sometimes I wish I couldn't hear myself, but that's okay. Can't have it all. All right, let's get into this. This is going to be deeply disturbing in so many ways. So, listener discretion is super duper advised. Not just <laughs> not just the regular amount of advised, super duper advised. So, we've discussed the Vikings briefly on this show before, but we're going to talk about them some more today because frankly, I want to. <laughs> <laughs> So like I said in my Norse mythology episode, the Vikings were members of a civilization that originally hailed from the modern day area known as Scandinavia and a little bit of Greenland and, you know, kind of all over that cold area at the top of the map. <laughs> because I feel like being really precise today. Um, but they were a very nomadic people. So throughout the period from the 8th century to the 11th century, a.k.a. the Viking Age, mm -hmm. they traveled widely, working their way throughout Europe and even making it as far as North America, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Depending on the sources you consult, odds are you have one of two fairly distinct understandings of who the Vikings were and what they were like. Unless you're an actual historian, and then good for you, you probably know all of this already. <laughs> Why are you here? I will never do as good of a job as you. <laughs> anyway, the first of these possibilities is that they were a violent, bloodthirsty lot of pillagers who took what they wanted from other tribes by force and were pretty merciless and would just cut down anyone who got in their way. That's one. The second is that the Vikings are misunderstood. They were fairly peaceful nomadic traders who would integrate themselves into the societies they wished to join. This vision is more of placid farmers, accomplished sailors, and hard workers. Neither of these things is right. <laughs> is it kind of in the middle? It's a bit of both. Figures. Yep, both versions are an oversimplification. It turns out because Vikings were people. <laughs> Shocking, <laughs> I know. They were actually more complex than that. Not some ridiculous stock image of goodness or evil. Life doesn't work like that. So yes, the Vikings were farmers. That's true. Yes, they did build a civilization 
that was actually more devoted to gender equality than most of their contemporaries. I'm looking at you, Anglo-Saxons. <laughs> yes, they did settle into other communities, and sometimes that was kind of a, a relatively calm merge. Mm -hmm. But it's also very true that they took thousands of slaves and killed members of other tribes in violent skirmishes. And if one community didn't want them and they really wanted to be there, pretty much one side or the other was going to be left bloody and dead. So I'd love to be able to tell you that actually they were just awesome, chill people and they just sat around and had story time and talked about Valhalla, but that's not what happened. And we can't pretend that it did, so I'm going to rain on your parade. Their reputation as fearsome warriors was earned through the violent destruction of tribes like the Angles and the Saxons. And who knows, maybe they were like, hey, we have a problem with your lack of gender equality, but I doubt that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> so we shouldn't try to paint them in two dimensions any more than we should try to force our moral codes onto a people who lived over a thousand years ago in a world that was very different from our own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Survival wasn't guaranteed. It was something you fought for. And as much as it makes my heart ache to think of the violent clashes between communities that wiped entire groups from living memory, I have to remind myself that this was a fact of life during the Viking Age. Yep. Now, all of this is just a preface to our real subject for today's story by the slice, and the word slice is going to seem like such a horrifically funny choice of words in a couple of seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Because we're going to be talking about one of the most brutal torture methods from history, the Blood Eagle. (laughs) Oh, this is going to be dark. It's going to be really bad. (laughs) But, you know, before I'm like, hey, the Blood Eagle, I wanted to be like, also, sometimes Vikings were chill. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, the Blood Eagle was a technique that was said to have been carried out by the Vikings. We'll come back to that after I tell you what the Blood Eagle is. Okay. Remember, like, six minutes ago when I told you that I super duper (laughs) advise listener discretion? (laughs) (laughs) It's because I'm about to describe what the performance of the Blood Eagle actually entails. It's gross. You should probably leave now if you can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lindsay and I are stuck. <laughs> We're here for this one. Lindsay already knows about it because we've oh. talked about this before. So, Emily, yep. buckle up. <laughs> yep. Okay, so step one. <laughs> I'm not oh, laughing oh, no. <laughs> I just want everyone to know I'm not a serial killer. Uh, and I'm not really like a sadist exactly. But I do have a healthy dose of schadenfreude and I like shocking people and making them uncomfortable. So <laughs> just so you know, it's mm-hmm. happening. How many steps does this entail? I stopped numbering them after step one. (laughs) So it depends who you ask. I'm going to leave the last part out. Uh, I will see if Lindsay knows what the last part is when we get to the end. I won't be disappointed because some sources leave it in and some take it out. So I was like, question mark. 
Step one, the intended victim is placed face down on their stomach in restraints. Yay. Already don't like it. Nope, you're not going to like it even more. With the body in this position, the executioner would then carve the shape of an eagle with its wings outstretched on the victim's naked back. Ouch. With the rough outline now in place, our executioner would next use either an axe or a sword to chop the victim's ribs and separate them from the spinal cord. Once this process is complete, the killer would carefully pull each rib one at a time along with the skin of the victim's back outward away from the spine. The resulting image when this was complete was that of a pair of blood-covered evil eagle wings. I said evil wings. <laughs> I mean, it is eagle wings. <laughs> eagle wings spreading from the victim's back. Oh, my God. Now, if you're thinking, well, that's horrible, but the victim's probably dead at this point... Uh, Or if you're thinking, well, there's the eagle part, so we're probably finished, you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) According to Sharon Turner's 1799 History of the Anglo-Saxons, the victim was still alive by the time his ribs had been transformed into eagle wings. And now the executioner would quite literally rub salt in the victim's <gasps> wounds. Oh my god. Okay. That is okay. such a dick move <laughs> after everything else. It's technically salt water, but it would still burn like a mother. So <laughs> get it all up in there, you know. All up in there. Aww. Following that agonizing process. The executioner would finally pull the victim's lungs from the body and spread them over the wings, resulting in the image of fluttering wings as the victim breathed their last. So, like, the lungs would inflate and it would look like the wings were flapping. Well, that's so gross. That is so gross. Now, some sources have one more step. Lindsay, do you know what it is? No, I don't. Some sources say you also pull out the intestines so that you have even more bloody stuff hanging off of the body to make the wings look even bigger. Oh. I don't think they would have done that. If that's a comfort to anyone, I really don't think the intestine thing happened. (laughs) They would have had to cut all the way down the back for, to probably. Yeah. It would have been difficult to access. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's the diaphragm. It makes sense with being able to pull out the lungs once you've opened up the rib cage, but trying to get to the intestines, you'd have to get out the diaphragm first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's unnecessary to complete the image anyway. Like, you're just yeah. going to end up with stuff hanging out over the edge, and it's not going to be... Um, stiff once it gets past the edges of the rib bones, so it's kind of pointless. Yeah. So anyway, that's the blood eagle. (laughs) Um, 
What we know about this torture method comes from some surviving written sources. And according to those sources, the Blood Eagle was performed on important enemies, usually ones who had committed some kind of horrific atrocity. So uh, some of those enemies who allegedly died via Blood Eagle were King Isla of Northumbria and... I'm going to say this wrong if I don't think really hard about it before I say it. <laughs> Halfton. Halfton Longleg, a Viking Age warrior prince and son of King Harald Fairhair of Norway. So those are the two best known. However, some scholars speculate there are others. Um, according to many gold... Mid-eagle? Really? <laughs> you got eagle on the brain? <laughs> I do. I have eagle all up in my brain. So according to medieval scholar J.M. Wallace Hadrill, um, additional supposed victims of the blood eagle were King Edmund of England, mm. the Irish king... Oh, God, this name. All right, I can get this. I think it's... Male Gwilai of Munster, and I apologize if I got any of those syllables wrong. I had a hard time finding a pr- like multiple pronunciations that agreed with each other, so I kind of picked one. And Archbishop Ailhea. Again, sorry if I butchered any of that. Um, like King Isla and Prince Halfton. Some of of these men, too, were victims of a Viking known as Ivar the Boneless. And that seems to be the general foundation on which Wallace Hadrill's theory rests. So he's like, these other people were also killed by this guy. And this is like the blood eagle guy. Oh, yeah. So it's like, this is his, this is what he did. So it would make sense that... If he killed these people, that he killed them this way. Yeah, um, but the problem with that is that other sources that exist, like, unfortunately, none of them are from right around the time when any of these people died. Mm-hmm. I should probably yeah. start with that before I get into my other thing. Sure. So, so to put this into historical context, all of the men I just named died between the mid-9th century into the early 10th century. Okay. But all of the sources that we have that mention the Blood Eagle can be dated to um, like the 11th, 12th, or 13th centuries. So it's like we're talking several hundred years after the deaths actually happened. And then you have to add in the fact that some of these men, I mean, these are important men. A lot of them are kings and Mm -hmm. princes. So we have other historical accounts for some of these people that say they died other ways. Yeah. So there's a lot of speculation happening here. And most um, scholars really only give credence to Halfton and... Isla, because Isla's the one who pops up over and over and over again. And I'm not really sure exactly how many sources Halfton is mentioned in in connection with the Blood Eagle, but apparently it's more than one. So, okay. So, does this appear to be largely propaganda against Vikings then? It's very possible that that's the case. So, here's the deal. Like I said, all of our sources are for se- from several hundred years later. So, 
I'm sorry if you can hear my dog being a whiny asshole. Apparently, she doesn't like the blood eagle. Um, but facts tend to get murky anytime you're getting to the point where you're past where people would have been alive when it happened. Yep, right. So you have to start asking questions at that point anyway. And even more worrisome, the accounts that do come from Scandinavian sources are from Norse and Icelandic sagas. And while those are phenomenal literary works, they were written by poets and intended for recitation as entertainment, not as histories. okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you add that in, then you consider some of the other events described in the sagas, a lot of which tend to be larger than life, and you've got a pretty big shadow being cast on the idea that we can talk about these as actual depictions of history. Not likely. Yep. Mm -hmm. So the only sources that we have left outside of those are sources written by outsiders who probably would have wanted to paint the Vikings as savagely as possible. Conquering Normans, for instance. Yeah. There are, I mean, the Vikings had their share of enemies, let's be honest. So there were plenty of people who would have enjoyed demonizing them. So the extent to which this actually happened is basically a huge question mark. (laughs) Yeah. But with that being said, uh, Dr. Roberta... Frank, who is professor of linguistics currently at Yale University, she published a paper about 30 years ago now in the English Historical Review in which she takes a closer look at the earliest surviving written description of King Isla's death, which can be dated to the early 11th century. So that one is physically the closest to when Isla actually would have died, which is approximated to be eight six the year 867. So we still have a big gap. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the closest one, right? So it's probably our best bet. So based on her expertise with Norse gnomic poetry, which far exceeds my own, <laughs> Frank ultimately concludes, quote, an experienced reader of skaldic poetry looking at the stanza from that work in isolation from its saga context, would have trouble seeing it as anything but a conventional utterance, an allusion to the eagle as a carrion beast, the pale bird with red claws perched on and slashing the back of the slain. And she translated the stanza to, quote, Ivar had Isla's back scored by an eagle, end quote. So that little bit (laughs) is the closest thing that we have to when he actually died. And she's saying the best translation of what she knows of the, uh, sorry, of Norse meter (laughs) is that we should be translating that as Ivar had Isla's back scored by an eagle. That's nothing like the process I described. Yeah. (laughs) So it's basically like they took an eagle, made it really pissed off, and then held it over his back and let it scratch him all to pieces. Sort of like that. Um, You know, you could maybe say that that's what actually happened, or maybe the whole thing is just an illusion, a literary image. That's possible, Mm -hmm. too. So she makes a really good case 
that this is probably just a literary image. <laughs> yeah. Like, this might not even have been, like, even Emily's thing, which is the closest literal description to what she's talking about right. here, is not anywhere near what I was describing. And on top of that, it might just be an image. It might be nothing more. It mm-hmm. might not be literal in any sense. Um, so while some writers who are looking back on this from the 21st century, like William DeLong, seem to put more stock in the possibility that the Blood Eagle really was used on enemies, others, like Mike Dash, ultimately adopt Dr. Frank's view, which, frankly, I think is the smart thing to do here. Um, Dash writes that... Quote, the right of the blood eagle is and always has been a matter of interpretation. End quote. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, dear listeners, you can make up your own minds on this one. It's gross, but I like it. <laughs> so, sources for this, sorry, ingredients for this dish were sourced from... Uh, Ryan Fan's article, The Blood Eagle, The Most Brutal Form of Viking Execution, from Medium. Uh, Mike Dash's article, The Vengeance of Ivar the Boneless, from Smithsonian Magazine. Uh, Wikipedia page on The Blood Eagle. And finally, uh, William DeLong's article, Blood Eagle, The Viking Torture Method, So Grizzly, Some Historians Believe It Didn't Actually Happen. And that's from all that's interesting. Um, and the, unfortunately, I don't have a copy of a 30-year-old <laughs> issue <laughs> of an academic journal. So I had to pull the quotes that I referenced from that, from the article by Mike Dash, because I don't have access to an academic library anymore. So anyway, uh, do you guys have any thoughts on the Blood Eagle? I just think it's super gross. And the it idea is. that anyone had to suffer that, like, is horrifying. But again, like, part of me does feel like it's entirely possible because I recently did an episode on yield crime about the ways that, yeah. like, women were punished throughout history and the tortures that they had to endure were pretty awful. So I can honestly see this being a thing that was actually done. Yeah, that was a hard episode to listen to. Yeah, that one was not going to lie. That one was bad. Sorry. I agree, though. I mean, there's part of me that thinks that probably a good chunk of this was propaganda because it did occur so much later. And it's probably largely coming out of nations that that are moving into territory that Vikings occupy. And they're trying to make people afraid of the Vikings and turn on them. Oh, look how brutal they are. But on the other hand, we do know that historically... Man has done some nasty, awful things to to mm-hmm. to each other, mm-hmm. and so it really wouldn't surprise me. It, obviously, somebody thought it up. It's in somebody's yeah. head. Yeah, they because it looks really it. cool. <laughs> <laughs> it looks really cool. Look at the drawings. It looks really cool. I'm making wings with my hands. I know that no one else can see, it but you guys. My hope would be that if it was real, that when they put an axe or a sword to somebody's spine to split open the ribs, that that would ultimately sever the spinal cord and they don't really feel it. I think it's extremely unlikely that anyone would still be alive by the point that the lungs got ripped out, if that makes you feel any better. Yeah. 
if it actually happened at all, I don't think you'd still be alive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, if it helps anyone sleep at night, uh, there's one more big problem with the way that King Isla's story always gets told, which is that the reason Ivar hated that guy so much that he had to blood eagle him was that... <laughs> was that supposedly uh, King Isla threw Ivar's dad, who was a king, into a pit of snakes and there were no snakes there because it was too cold. So there was no <laughs> snake pit. <laughs> I almost thought you were going to say a pit of bears. A bear no, pit. <laughs> a bear pit might be possible, though. So... <laughs> Yeah, no, he allegedly threw him into a snake pit and then the snakes killed him or whatever. But, you know, there were no snakes because it was too cold there. So somebody's making things up. That part's definitely horseshit. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I personally don't believe they would have done it. Um, Literally speaking, if they had tried, I don't think you'd still be alive by the time they pulled your lungs out. So goodbye, fluttering lungs, like hanging yeah. out on rib cages. Yeah. Because, like, how precise can you possibly be when you're trying to hack someone's ribs off their spine? Yeah. Right. That's what I was thinking, too. Yeah. We're literally cutting into vital organs if we go too deep. But yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's the Blood Eagle. <laughs> <laughs> Learn something new every day. <laughs> Hooray! I have weird <laughs> things that I like to talk about, but you already knew. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well thank you for coming to visit our beautiful pizzeria and enjoying a bloody story by the slice. Pineapple Pizza Podcast, sweet and cheesy. Not everyone understands our awesomeness, especially after that. (laughs) But we're glad that you do? Question mark? Blood Eagle. (laughs) (laughs) It sounded like Red Robin. It was. Blood Eagle. Rose. (laughs) (laughs) If you're enjoying the show and you'd like to help support us, Check out our Tee Public shop for some amazingly fun and funny merch. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you can do that on buymeacoffee.com and buy us a fresh slice. Because we can never get enough of basically anything, if we're being honest. If you absolutely love the show and you want to check out some fantastic bonus content, you can become a donor on Patreon and earn all kinds of amazing benefits. We have three tiers to accommodate almost any budget. The $3 Mythbuster, $7 Cryptid Hunter, and $15 Storyteller. Become a patron today and start enjoying all the perks and extra content right away. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PineAppPizzaPod. That's PineAppAppPizzaPod. You can also send us questions, comments, and topic ideas at PineAppPizzaPod. APP pizza pod at gmail.com. Remember, there's the two P's in app. Otherwise, you're emailing someone else, and I don't want to be held responsible for that. Thanks for stopping in for some deliciously weird morsels. And just remember, no matter how you slice it, you're awesome. And we love you.